Uh, Grandpa fell down a giant hole. Hello! Welcome back to Elevating the Genre, episode 27. Uh, we have a special episode today, it being uh, May the 4th, uh, as most of you probably out there in the geeky world know, May the 4th be with you. It is Star Wars Day. So today, not only do we have your regular co-hosts, myself, Christopher Morrison, and our regular uh, other co-host, the gentleman over there is... Dominic. Dominic, we got a third joining us, uh, and we're honored to have... The wonderful Melissa Hillman. Uh, say hello, Melissa. Hello, hello. Who is an awesome uh, and smart and geeky, wonderful woman, uh, because that's what we're here to talk about. Always, as always, we're here to talk about all things that make smart, geeky stuff actually smart and mostly geeky. And as I said, today we're sort of going to focus on Star Wars, but uh, we're going to have a, a hyper focus because, my God, is Star Wars far too broad of a topic for a measly little hour. We're going to focus on Jin and Ray. Um, uh, but before we get into that, uh, we of course have but in a Broadway in a, Happy Star Wars Day. Yes, of course. Be with you. Yes, so. absolutely. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna Tomorrow. have I'm gonna introduce Melissa a little deeper uh, after our first segment here, just because uh, that'll be fun. Uh, so Melissa, as I was telling you before we started, we got our, our, our we open up the podcast with what's elevating our genre, where we uh, talk about what we think is cool in the geeky world right now, what's floating our boat. Uh, since you're our honored guest, you'll go last because we'll give you a chance to think of something. <laughs> um, All right. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember. Uh, oh, it's right, Dominic. You were you were solo last time. Uh, uh, you want to start? You want to start us off for twenty-seven? Um, I was just gonna say that the Defenders trailer came out. Ah. Oh, the genre? I don't know, but uh, don't because know. this cross-pollination of shared universes, things is still a fairly. Uh, new-ish thing it's it's uh, always exciting to me and it and it mm -hmm. seems that and i like that even within the context of the trailer you can like tell that iron fist is still sort of a jerk and so it's like shared <laughs> universes and one of them is you know one of them is kind of the lame duck universe but they're still going to be together yes anyway, to me that's exciting that's that's what's elevating my genre yeah, I, I, I'm a sucker for a good team-up, no matter how much, like, and a good mashup even, but a good true team-up of, like, I don't know what it is, man. I'm just a programmed little kid from, like, you know, starving from the original comic book days of just, like, oh, my God, Spider-Man showed up in the X in X-Men 115, and I gotta go fucking, you know, like, it has to, it, ha it makes me excited. I like a good team-up myself. Um, so, uh... Also, I just feel like yeah. I haven't seen Jessica Jones in a long time. Yes, when I was it was in nice to see New her, York yeah. a couple weeks ago. They were, like, starting to shoot the, mm. the season two at, like, Broadway and 101st or whatever it was. And, um, nice. And full of good anticipatory feelings. Yeah, no, and, you know, and, of course, the trailer made me excited. It's it's shot well, and it's it's nice to see all four of them. I'm sorry, it's just cool to see them all at the same place. I don't know. It gives me, it gives me uh, geek chills. It's just nice stuff, um, even though we all still hate iron fist anyway um on my end uh i have to just like my life stopped because uh and i love it when this happens a, a book dropped into my life that i just happened to pick up when i was in uh in london last um i'm sorry not even london i was in manchester with time to kill before i was catching a flight uh and i found this awesome bookstore and just randomly picked up this book by a woman named ann lecky um 
ancillary justice. Uh, turns out it was, I had no idea even reading the book, it's a Hugh, Hugo Nebula and Arthur C. Clarke award-winning science fiction book that is just fucking unbelievably all sorts of amazing and kick-ass. Um, it's a story of a, a ship's mind that uh, in her world ships uh, are slave to this one individual, but they have their AIs and then uh, underneath them they have other ships slave to them and then they also have these things called ancillaries which are uh, human-ish, let's just say they're bipedal, uh, bipedal uh, uh, meat sticks that were originally people but uh, have been, they're conquered people and they get slaved <laughs> to the mind as well. Um, so she can, so this mind can literally be in like, you know, 250 places at once. Uh, but the story centers around one of these ship mines that has now been all destroyed except for one of their ancillaries. It's just a killer, uh, place to start a book. Um, just, uh, and the way she deals with identity and addresses a bunch of shit that I, uh, love in terms of like colonization and like questions about power and who has power and when they have it and and what all that means and uh the other crazy thing she wonderful thing she does is that the base pronoun in the book is she in the world in the universe that they exist in anybody can give birth because they can they can flip genders at any time so the base pronoun is she and it's really interesting what that does to your brain when you're reading a book and it, it, it's you know uh cishet white dude here you know like it's really nice to like just have that base storytelling trope just fucking jostled um e- even if the characters are uh ad- eventually you discover are actually identifying at the time as male it doesn't matter it's everybody's a she um so fascinating i don't know i i think it's great uh i think it's really quite a piece of work uh and i just tore through it and just had to stop my life to get through it so ancillary justice by Anne leckie i can't can't recommend it high, highly enough um Ms. Hillman, was that enough time? Did we give you enough time to think something? Sure. Awesome. Well, I'm gonna jump in. I'm gonna jump in and say that Ancillary Justice has is the first of a trilogy. Yes, it is. And yeah, and you can you can stop your life even further yeah. by reading um, mm-hmm. Ancillary Sword and Ancillary mm-hmm. Mercy. I have the second one now in my possession. Uh, my wife is hiding the third one from me for a gift somewhere later down the line. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely been on my list, but it's something that I haven't, you know, I have, I always have 427 books stacked up yeah. and I, I'm teaching with an, uh, an expert in Moby Dick. And so I can't, I'm taking this opportunity to read Moby Dick. And so everything else go. is, yeah, yeah. So I have, <laughs> I have these amazing novels and, uh, and, uh, nonfiction books stacked up by my bedside waiting for me to get through Moby Dick and the bike. Yeah. God damn it, I'm getting through that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite interesting. I mean, it's very interesting. You can, yeah. but it, so what am I excited Moby about? Moby Dick, fortunately, it's, was not part of a trilogy, right? Yeah. So <laughs> there's no, it's not like. It's like a, it's a quintilogy all Moby Dick, itself. Moby Dick and, yeah, yeah. Right. It's quite a Moby Dick. But I, uh, in the world of geekiness, um, I am, I'm friends with a Disney Imagineer who mm-hmm. is working on Star Wars Land. Uh. And mm. yes, and I have um, been very, very good about not asking him questions because <laughs> he cannot answer those questions. But um, he has spoken lovingly and lavishly 
about the immersive nature of the experience and that mm -hmm. the Imagineers working on this are all very focused on making the experience as immersive as possible mm -hmm. to remove uh, as many visuals, as many modern um, commercial visuals as they can wow. to make the experience. Yeah, they're working with the um, Coca-Cola to work on the cups. They're working on um, shopping bags. They're working on everywhere you look. It's part of the immersive experience. And so just as somebody who comes from theater and the world of theater where this idea of these immersive experience have, have experienced a resurgence after the success of Sleep No More in New York, they were, it yeah. was a very popular thing. Yeah. It's, it's, immersive experiences have always been in theater, but the, this from the ancient times. But this uh, new immersive experience that people are interested in with Sleep No More this is something that has really fascinated me and something I, I love about Disney is its um, inventive uh, and um, boundary pushing theatricality. Mm -hmm. It's always got the boat on, on technical theater. So whereas, you know, their messaging is improved, uh, question mark, and they, yeah. certainly have, they certainly have their issues, but their, um, their tech is always astonishing. Yeah. Sure. So I'm really interested to see what the technical, what new technical heights they're going to achieve because I can't ask, but um, I hear it's going to be spectacular. I'm excited about that. Yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah, the uh, 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 friend of the podcast and fellow podcaster Noah um, Presswitch over at, um, uh, sorry, Noah Nelson, excuse me. Noah Presswitch was a former student of mine. Hi, Noah, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> Noah Nelson over at the No Proceedium podcast, just uh, uh, who is also a big uh, immersive theater cat. Uh, well, because that's what the No Proceedium podcast follows is all uh, immersive events uh, all across the United States, uh, and I think they they've got people reporting for them in Canada now. Uh, just dropped a bunch of uh, a couple of articles on the, the Star Wars uh, immersive st stuffy stuff. So if you guys are interested in following up on that, go check that out. Uh, yeah. Uh, and yeah, make no mistake, Melissa. You have you, there's a window here where you're going to be able to make some money if you can jump on VR, brother, sister. Sorry, um, it's that's who they're hiring. They're hiring the theater cats. It's uh, it's a it's a good skill to have right now. So uh, we might all, if you can work, mm. if you can play your cards right, uh, these theater people, um, you you've got a you've got an actual huge burgeoning potentially billions of dollars market opening up that, and they're looking for theater people. Just saying. Anyway, all right. Speaking of that, that amazing voice was, and I completely forgot your honorific, and I apologize. That was Doctor uh, Melissa Hillman. Um, oh my God, how embarrassing! Oh, shut up! Uh, come on, you get, you got to own it, man. You earned it. Come on now. Hi, Melissa. <laughs> I'm just saying hi. Yes, um, uh, Melissa and I go way back. Like Dom and I go way back. Actually, it might go back to the same around, uh, definitely the same time period. I don't know about the same exact year, but um, Melissa is. Uh, uh, former uh, Impact Theater uh, artistic director, uh, always an educator, uh, a singer, uh, a writer in her own right. Uh, she kills it over at Bitter Gertrude. If you haven't been reading that blog, you are missing the fuck out uh, for sure. Melissa, what else am I missing? Uh, uh, mom, awesome mom <laughs> to daughter and son. Uh, you know, what else? What else? What did I miss there? I don't know. That sounds about right. Doing a lot of writing, done a lot of directing, Doctor, teaching. Thank you. That's that's what I got. I mean, I have like five skills. It's like a teaching, directing, uh, writing, parallel parking, uh, and yeah. baking. Mm. That's baking. All I got. 
and singing. I- you can't. You're a trained opera singer. Don't 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 drop that shit. Come on now. Anyway. Uh, and, and like I said, an awesome cultural uh, critic who has taught me so much uh, about uh, com- composing good uh, argumentation, particularly on the interwebs, um, and always someone that I tend to link when uh, I need some backup uh, when getting into it with some bull- internet bullshit. Um, but uh, speaking of that, let's let's tack- tackle a little bit of internet bullshit, shall we? <laughs> Because yeah. I think it's a bit inescapable with our topic uh, this uh, this fine, fine day. Just to reset here, we are going to be talking about – we're going to focus on Star Wars, but focus particularly on the characters of Jin and Rey. Um, uh, just in honor of Star Wars. Um, and usually, Melissa, what I tend to do is do like a just a little bit of a setup of history, but I don't think anybody needs any fucking history, really, ladies and gentlemen. It's Star Wars. Uh, shut the fuck up if you don't know what's going on. Uh, listen to something else, uh, I guess. I mean, the only history I could even think of maybe is that we could kick around L- Leia and maybe even Padme a little bit as sort of a setup for these two. Um, but that's all sure. I got. Um, Mon Moth. Ray's the one oh, in The Mon Force Moth. Awakens, and Jin is the one in Rogue ah, yes. One, just for the elementary Claire. setup. <laughs> Right, so right. So for clarity, I mean, yeah, I mean, let's let's end Mon Mothma. You'd mentioned Mon Mothma as well, and that may need some setup for people who aren't quite as deep geek as us. Which is uh, the excuse me, I, I always forget. Is she a, is, her title is in general. Her title is is what counselor, whatever leader, part lead, leader, one of the main leaders of the rebellion. Chancellor. Yeah, functionally, functionally, in the late seventies, she was shown as a what uh, late seventies, early eighties, shown as a right. woman in charge of a military operation. So that was an I important... I guess she's a general, yeah. She, yeah. Yeah, she had very few actual lines. Right. Um, she was still symbolically important at the time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, yeah, let's 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 kick around Leia just as a, a bit of a... I always thought of her as the nice pope. The, as the nice, the nice pope? Did you just say? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> she looks pope-like to you? It, it, it's it's misleading. It, it, she's not a religious leader, to no. my knowledge. But it's, she, she, she has a certain... She certainly glows a little bit. I mean, yeah, she's an all-white, um, and she's definitely lit with... Uh, yeah, in an interesting fashion, and particularly in, in episode mm-hmm. four. Um, but, I mean, I, I'm not sure anybody also needs any setup with Leia, but, I mean... You know, Leia is an important figure, um, and maybe Melissa, we can have we can toss this to you. What 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 is it about Leia that sort of sets us sets up the Star Wars universe? Maybe separates it a little bit from some of the particularly the '70s science fiction that was kicking around at the time on uh, television and film. Uh, well, part of what's so different about Star Wars, just just speaking in general about it. Mm. Is that for those people who don't already know this? So maybe three people who live in a cave. The um, that George Lucas wrote the original script in consultation with um, Joseph Campbell, and he wrote the script specifically to align with um, this uh, the basic mythology that's found all throughout the world, which is called the hero's journey. And the hero's journey is a kind of mythology; is a mythological narrative. That um, that centers around a hero who um, goes through various experiences. Not every hero's journey in every culture has all of the same pieces, but all of them have some of the same pieces that make up this very recognizable um, journey of awakening. And sometimes we might even 
um, put this together with a coming-of-age journey. And Luke is the center of the hero's journey of the original three films. And we have him experiencing all of these iconic archetypal experiences, the pieces of the hero's journey. And one of those pieces of the hero's journey is the rescuing of the princess, which by the late 70s was already becoming a little problematized um, as uh, people became more aware of mm -hmm. feminism. And so George Lucas engages really directly in a really fun way with the rescuing of the princess. She is a self-rescuing princess. And she was the first and my first self-rescuing princess, which was a lady. Right. She didn't need, she's grabbing Han Solo's gun. She's into the garbage chute, flyboy. You know, somebody right. has to save our kids. And she, um, all she needed was someone to open the door. Right. right. I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so she, um, She's strong and smart and um, knows more about what's going on right. than either than any of the Luke, Han, none of them have any idea what's going on, yeah. except for, of course, Obi-Wan, who dies before very long. So, um, yeah, so this is somebody who existed in those first moments as a direct engagement with and subverting of this extremely well-known trope. She's not fainting when the guns fire. She's not, oh, save me or get behind me or any of that stuff. She grabs the gun mm -hmm. and shoots back. So that was immediately uh, immediately different. Yep. Something Wait, can I ask about that one for a second? Is the risk, is Rescuing the Prisons written into Joseph Campbell's stuff somewhere in like the short, medium, or long mm -hmm. version? Yeah, it's yeah. the... It's um, tied up in the. Um, Is it the in bit the about meeting the meeting the goddess? Mm -hmm. As well, I think it's a, in the section meeting the goddess. Right. Okay. But it but it is this idea where I'm only familiar with the really short version so, <laughs> of the Campbell thing. So I just taught a, a two week workshop on Star Wars and the Hero's Journey. <laughs> there it is. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. See, you need to go. You need to go to some Star Wars stuff. And Melissa's part part of, always part of the solution. Um, that's that's so that's what probably what you're gonna hear about. There it is. That's fine. We like it. Um, I mean, and it's it's. I mean, again, for me, I was you know I was born in '74, and some of my first you know the first okay the first movie I saw was was Herbie Goes Bananas, but the second movie I saw was Star Wars. Um, uh, for sure. And it was, it was so, such a wonderful, not an issue at the time. I was literally, I might've been three, three bordering on four when I saw it. Probably, definitely, probably four-ish, but, um, cause it came out in May. So I, my birthday's in March. So there you go. Um, like it wasn't, it was, it was great that it wasn't an issue. It was, what was interesting to me was how it became an issue later as I began to watch television and watch people not be Princess Leia, that's what was confusing to me, right? I, I also was watching Wonder Woman at the time on television, and just, like, these ladies were, were awesome and kick-ass, and, and they were just equals until they weren't, like, all of a sudden. Like, uh, and, and once that narrative hit, I remember the cognitive dissonance just actually occurring to me. Like, okay, 
I guess everybody's not Princess Leia. Every woman's not Princess Leia, you know, whatever. And it was, it was actually at, uh, such a moment in, uh, in, uh, in my life. Um, and I think in a lot of people's, uh, who grew up around that time and when this and Star Wars becoming that kind of mythology to them. Uh, speaking of which, I forgot this. I did skip over. I do want to have one other piece of history, which is I want to know your guys' first Star Wars memory. Like, what is the first thing that you actually remember Star Wars penetrating your life? For me, like I said, it was my first, it was my second movie I ever saw. But really what I mostly remember is uh, my, the first memory I can really recall is a a yellow t-shirt that I had that I never took off, which was an iron-on of Luke Skywalker. Like, Mm. that's the strongest first memory I have. That and a fucked up, uh, I actually look, I I misremembered Star Wars for years. I was convinced there was an X-Wing pilot in the Death Star run whose X-Wing blew up because his S-foils wouldn't open. I I had that argument for years, um, absolutely for years, and was not convinced about it. When it first when it came on television, I was convinced they'd edited it out. Um, when it, and in, until the, finally we got our hands on the Betamax, our Betamax copy, yes, of Star Wars, that I, I finally admitted defeat, that I had misremembered that. So what is the first Star Wars memory you guys have? <laughs> Sorry, I know we're going backwards here. Um, for, for me, I, I saw it in a theater in Fresno, California at some year, and I, it was, it was the music. I uh-huh. heard music, and I was very small and just dancing around in my aunt's kitchen, just ding, dun, 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 dun. That was the thing that stuck with me for a long wow, time. Wow, yeah, yeah. Cool. Melissa? Yeah, um, I saw it in the theater in Fremont, California, um, <laughs> and I was already, when Star Wars came out, I was... 11 12 something mm. i'm old yeah. so i um so i had already i grew up in a family of jocks nah. my father's in the sports industry and I, I had already staked out a claim in my family and in my school as this intellectual that was my identity mm-hmm. and i was into that identity and so um i remember um princess leia grabbing that gun i was like yes. Very big like, and then um, I had to, I spent years hiding my love of Star Wars and stuff um, because I, people looked down on it. Yeah. And I was trying so hard to achieve. Nobody takes young women seriously, particularly mm. young women who want to be um, academics. Mm. They're going to be a nerd, right? That's no, they're no, that's not, you know, go, maybe, maybe you could specialize in like Jane Austen. Right. How about romantic novels, right? Hmm. But it was very hard early on in the like 70s, 80s, even in the 90s to a certain extent yeah. until like the late 90s. So I spent a long time writing my love of Star Wars and Star Trek. Yeah. And I finally in the like late 90s, I gave up. Part of it was, <laughs> um, part of it was uh, hooking up with a bunch of nerds in the impact theater crowd. Yeah. <laughs> you guys were all nerds. And so I was like, well, then I can be a nerd too. And that's fine. Part of it was, um, just getting older and not caring as much, sure. you know? And then when being a nerd became cool, that yeah. was something I had never in my wildest dreams ever imagined would happen. You and me both and so- sister. <laughs> so I'm still kind of reeling from that a little bit. You know, but I, um, yeah, but I had to, for me, 
it really was Princess Leia grabbing that gun. Yeah, no, uh, that was something. That's something I have been waiting for my whole life without realizing what I've been waiting for because I was so young. <laughs> so when the um, when Force Awakens came out, uh, there was a moment in Force Awakens, but we, I'm sure we'll get to when we talk about uh, Ray. Let's get to where, it. Where, yeah, that um, I had been waiting for my entire life. And it, it just was uh, groundbreaking. And it's still thrilling to me that this new generation of young people, for this new generation of young people, that this is their hero's journey. So I'm pretty excited about that. Mm. But yeah, we can talk about that in a bit. No, we can talk about a perfect transition, man. So so uh, was there a specific moment you were thinking about with Ray there? Yeah, fuck yeah. So I, um, I'm really excited that we get to say fuck because I didn't uh, know if yeah. we could. Oh, come on. So, it's my podcast. Are you fucking kidding? <laughs> so, uh, Cursing up the wazoo. <laughs> there you go. No, so I, um, the uh, Force Awakens parallels A New Hope, and that's by design. It's a, there's actually a, it's a technique that goes back to ancient Greek theater, and I'm not going to bore you with it with the terminology, but the um, paralleling a story and then veering off in a particular direction as a, almost as a commentary, or it really, I should say, in conversation with the original story is a time-honored technique. And so The Force Awakens paralleled A New Hope. And um, from talking to my friends at Lucasfilm, I'm, I know that even the marketing was designed to make it look as if the hero's journey of The Force Awakens centered around Finn. Mm -hmm. um, the, um, they didn't release the Rey action figure mm. until mm. the movie came out. They um, released uh, pictures of the um, PR shots of um, John Boyega with the lightsaber. Mm -hmm. they, they carefully crafted that um, to make it appear as if the hero's journey centered around Finn. And so going into it, I was like, okay, he's the center of the hero's journey. That's cool. I'm excited that it's a person of color. Like, that's awesome. That it's a yeah. black man. Right? So I'm here. I'm ready for this ride. And let's do it. And I liked how Ray was portrayed, you know? She's mm -hmm. uh, independent and interesting and has her own narrative and stop taking my hand and I really liked him. And then when um, in the basement of Maz Kanata's, mm -hmm. uh, where Ray finds Luke's lightsaber and has the vision, and Maz Kanata mm -hmm. says, take it, the entire narrative pivots mm -hmm. to center Ray as the, in the hero's journey. It's Ray's story. Ray is the hero in the center of the hero's journey. It's mm -hmm. Luke's Luke's lightsaber is calling to you, take it. And then she has, that's the call to adventure. And then mm -hmm. she, of course, refuses the call. Has the and, refusal, yes. And then from then on, it's her story. And the, um, the uh, even though they certainly spend time um, curating Finn's story, they don't draw Finn's story by any means, mm -hmm. but she's the center of the hero's journey. And it's, mm -hmm. um, and he becomes one of her companions. Mm -hmm. And it was a moment I had been waiting for my entire adult life. You can find hero's journey narratives all up and down independent work. Yep. But to find a major motion picture mm -hmm. that um, if from a mainstream 
source that centers around a woman in the hero's journey was something that uh, we had never seen before. And that was something that they knew they were doing. And I was so thrilled with it. So that yeah. uh, that's, uh, and also the fact that the person who was giving her the call to adventure was also a woman mm-hmm. or a female, whatever Maz Kanata is. <laughs> whatever Maz Kanata is. Yeah. Right. Orange lady. Can I, I seriously that I want to be Maz Kanata. And then I realized I was for 20 years. So that I got that going for me. So, you gotta, impact- wait, yeah, that's true. Yeah. You were, I was about to say, where's your bar, but you did. Yeah. You ran a, you ran a basement, you ran a basement establishment. Yeah, no, that works. <laughs> no, no, that's, I, I yeah. feel like that was a that I so I'm extremely excited to see what happens with the Last Jedi and how mm-hmm. they are continuing that narrative right. and how right. they're setting that up. Cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. I always I I mm-hmm. thought it was Ray's story from the outset. I mean, although I I, I mean I I totally uh, take that point, um, but it. But when she was introduced, I just had this feeling, you know, with with her mm. shot, like establishing her searching through the wreckage and stuff. I yeah. just had this feeling that it was going to be all about her. I'm not sure. I mean, there are different you know, I, I ways think, of taking it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, when I remember when I first saw it, I was like, okay, well, it's a, it's interesting. I was trying so. to see if it was going to be a two-hander. I wasn't sure if it was, you know, if it were gonna it was going to be Finn and Ray sort of in, on, uh, on equal time, right? And because it's also interesting because at the... They both refuse the call at the la- you know, at the same moment at Moscanada. Finn is also that's when Finn tries to tries to yeah. get on that ship and run away, um, and it's inter- and that's interesting. Um, so they're really they are focusing on him as well, but it's definitely not a two hander. Yeah, no, it's definitely Ray's story for sure. Um, <clears throat> for me, me, I have I have I have held out the hope that introduced female characters were going to be the actual center of the narrative. <laughs> <and> <laughs> So many times that when she was introduced, I I was just like so certain that right. it was not going to be just because take the it, hit. Yeah. it never is, it right. never is. Right. And, and even when it's this, even when it's the woman's, even when the woman is at the center of the narrative, even mm. when the film is sensibly from her point of view, right? She still is the, um, she still is part of someone else's narrative. She's right. waiting for some dude to show up, right? Or she's. Wait, yeah. Right. So even like it's Ray waiting for Finn to show up, or it's what I thought. That's what I thought was going to happen. Right, right. You know, and that, then she's now. You know, she's taken by Kylo Ren. Oh, they're going to you know rescue her, or whatever. Like that mm-hmm. could have easily gone. It could have easily sure. gone for sure. And for sure. you know, was she? But to give her for to give her such epically strong force powers and all of that to really mm-hmm. make it her hero's journey was. That was new for mm. me. I mean, we have a lot of films that center around women, but but they are sure. women at the center of the hero's journey. Yeah. And I mean, this is also interesting. I mean, it's a bit of a crossover. We can talk about Jin a little bit. It's one of the things that, that, that I have an issue. I have a bit of an issue with, with Jin is that she, like the whole story centers around her doing stuff for her dad, right? Like that's, uh, again, it's a Star Wars trope and it's it's very Star Warsy to in, to involve your father and to involve your, your family and all of that stuff. It's just, I wish yeah. Jin had more... A, was imbued with more agency in that movie. She's an interesting character. She's strong-ish. She's strong because she does a lot of stuff, but like her agency is always in service to her her dad, even by the end of the story. Oh, you think so? Because she yeah in that in that first scene in the rebel base where she's saying, 
I like to think of my father as dead. It makes it easier. And they sure. say, well, you know, if you do this, we'll set you free. And mm -hmm. she's like, done deal. So I think that her in, initially, when she gets on that ship with Cassian um, and K2SO, now the world's greatest droid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Alan Tiddick doing, doing amazing work. Yeah, right. That's the most emotional death in that film. Is uh, that's the thing. Yeah, that's the one. That's yeah. the weird. That's one of the weird things about that movie. It's a very unbalanced movie for me. But staying with Jin. Yeah. No. I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, but again, it's that you can you could easily say that that's in reference to her dad abandoning her. Right. Like, is that what she really wants? Is that what? It, I mean, it, you you what does she want her freedom or to be put back in an imperial prison? No, like, I don't certainly not. <laughs> but I mean, I'm just talking about the setup. Like, what I wish. All right, I'm sorry. I'm 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 already jumping into what I wish. Um. Which I don't, I think I don't think we should do. I don't know, Dom. Where are you falling on sort of Jin's setup? Well, no, I, I, I take point. I prefer Jin to Ray just a little bit. Not Interesting. Like okay. By, by a far, um, I, I enjoy Jin a lot, and mm. I, I feel like the, the thing that might be uh, you're to there is she, she has to adopt these sort of hero, um, pronouncements. Like we're gonna definitely go get the Death Star plans. That's everything I want in the world. I think just like her uh, connection with their father just ends up being, you know, for dramatic purposes, they gotta align it with her like shouting out all the hero stuff and being um, being the yeah, know, leader I, of the quest. Sure. And I, I so I think that's just convenience. That yeah, that's what it feels you know, like to maybe me. Maybe like, taken yeah. a couple day ways. Um, well, it, it's the um, Rogue One is a is a very uh, super clearly uh, signposted hero's journey. Uh, reconciliation with the father was a major part of the hero's journey. Yeah, for sure. You see with Luke, and you see with so the fact that she starts out essentially hating him, and then realizing, <clears throat> seeing the hologram. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then being having this moment where she realized everything she thought about him was wrong, mm -hmm. and uh, and then saying, "Okay, now I have to spend my whole life hating this guy. Now I have to go in order to now I have a, a purpose in life, right? Essentially, to, to follow my dad's to, to fulfill my dad's sort of mission, right? Which is to fuck yeah, over well, the I empire, mean, fulfill the father's mission, yeah, but also to save all these well, people. It becomes everyone's mission. Yeah. I mean, everyone. Yeah. On the Revelites, wants to get rid of that Death Star? How did how did all those people start taking that mission so seriously? Mm -hmm. <laughs> how, how did how did Sheridan Bates decide? Oh my gosh! For now, what, all I really want to do is go get the Death Star plans. I mean, there's a certain uh, what are they gonna do, man? Their whole planet is. I mean, every their whole city is rubble. <laughs> you know, like where are they gonna go at this? Like they were, they were guardians of the wills, right? Like their whole entire life has been in that one building. So you know, like they're, they're, that 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 makes more sense to me than. But I yeah. mean, we could talk. I think that Rogue One was a stunning achievement in a lot of ways, and it also had some very basic, uh, I think, problems that that come up a lot with young white male filmmakers, mm -hmm. um, and was very, very concerned with making this a gritty action film and like, look, I can be serious. Like, yeah, they I, and they couldn't yeah. even pull that off. But yeah. <clears throat> sure, but I, I'm, I'm very, like, 
that doesn't interest me because there are 50 billion movies, you know, like right. I, I could talk about, <laughs> I mean, every movie has filmmaking strengths and weaknesses and talking about the relative strengths and weakness of, of a film is just boring, but I can, but talking about the um, symbolic and narrative significance of this film in context with say the whole star Wars universe or in context with the hero's journey or in context with, um, the socio-political structure within which it exists. Mm -hmm. The fact that, oh, yeah. is, you know, that that Rogue One ha was, all, every major character in Rogue One was a woman or a person of color. Yeah, it's huge. Like, yeah, I mean, there are things in that film that are far more interesting to me than, you know, was it, did it tick the boxes of good filmmaking in every single box? Like, what film sure. does? I mean, not every film is Empire Strikes Back, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa Hillman opinion, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I guess we'll... There are actually the only seven films in the like world. <laughs> 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 or eight. Or eight. Um, Wait, I'm just kidding. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, for me, it's just, I guess, well, what be becomes interesting to me is... Yeah, no, absolutely. Number one, yeah, the stunning achievement of, like... The main the people who share that screen this who share that screen is a huge statement and is is awesome. Super super unusual for a major motion picture as well. Absolutely. I mean that to take that's something that you have usually have to fight studios to put people of color and women in main positions at all, and you still have to justify them with yeah. a white guy hero. Absolutely. This is this is this is a whole new thing that um, that's built on the backs of the all the like Denzel Washington and Will Smith and these um, people of color who went before for sure. But this is a new thing to be able to say, we're going to put an action film on a woman who's not there for boobs. Who's no. not there to be a romantic interest, you know? Which, which also, but that tends to make me want to hold the filmmaking up to even a higher standard. That's the thing for me. It's like, don't fuck it up for the rest of it, for the next one that comes along, right? And not that That's Rogue One fucks it up. That's to some guy in his 20s. Yes, exactly. They should have, Gareth Edwards was not, the was not the solution here. Like, okay, I have to get to my fix because I just, I'm so proud of this. And because I think it would... It just, it also, it illustrates more. Like, if Jen was Saw Gerrera, I would have been so much more on board with this character, right? She would have been so far <laughs> outside of the realm of, A, a, well, a regular Star Wars lead, and then she would have had to have been brought back into sort of the Rebellion fold a little bit more. And I was always disappointed that there was a trailer that dropped where Jin had a line was like, I, I, this is a rebellion, right? I rebel, which got cut from the movie for a variety of who knows why. Um, true, you know, true, true. Um, which I think is a fantastic place to really start that character from, um, to really make it. And this is, and this would step away more from the hero's journey, right? This is, this is also why also, I mean, you know, whatever. I'm, that's the thing. I'm, I happen to be sick to death of the hero's journey. I think Star Wars is beating it to death. Um, and I think, again, this also comes out of like, what I would want from the film, which means absolutely nothing. Everybody has their own claim on these franchises, and that's great. Um, but I was, and again, I was set up as like, you know, oh, they're going to go get Death Star plans. It's a heist movie, turns into a war movie, turns in, they give it to the wrong director. And then I wanted just Jin to be a rebel, like a much more, a much farther to, uh, you know, like I said, if she was Saw Gerrera, I would have been, so stoked and then watch her come back and, into the fold and miss, and miss forrest whitaker chewing the scenery <laughs> I, I i i i'll give it a pass i'll be fine uh, i'd be fine with that uh i love me some forrest forrest is forrest is great uh, a lot of the times uh and that haircut holy shit what that haircut what 
was that all about? I don't. Yeah. No. no. But I, I think, I think it, it's interesting to me to say that you're sick to death of the hero's journey because I think that's something that you can say from the position of a dude. But for me, oh, I, yeah. if I had, if I had grown up from the from in the womb, seeing nothing but hero's journey with me as the center my whole entire <laughs> yeah. life, for I'd sure. probably be sick of it too. But like the amount of, it's of true. yeah, with women as the center, like this is a whole new thing. And so I'm like, I can't get cool. enough of it. Oh, of I, I mean, I can't get enough of it. So I... it, it's different thing for me. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I also can't pass over another thing that I said. I got, uh, and this is such an interesting conversation, and it's not this conversation. I would like to eventually do a roundtable on this about like we're such getting to the point now where these, because again, this this podcast, Melissa tends to deal with like these huge IP properties that have these IPs that have been around for you know fucking decades now. Some of them getting close to a century old if you go back to radio and stuff like that. Like yeah, yeah. what you personally as a fan bring to the event when you sit down because it's not like it was when star wars happened right star wars or something like yeah i'm gonna reference a weird movie here maybe the matrix or something like this these giant things that have no history hit us in such a different way than now like i have to do weird mental prep when i go see like a star wars movie or watch a goddamn old star trek episode or whatever like i have to self-analyze about like okay what do i want from this experience what am i expecting um I think it's an interesting conversation to have because, like I said, with the four, with uh, sorry, with Rogue One, when they're like, it's stealing the Death Star plans. My mind was like, I went and sat down and I was like, okay, hit me with a Star Wars heist movie, and that obviously has absolutely almost nothing to do with what that movie was. So that's yeah. that's my fault, right? Like that's <laughs> that's me trying to force an experience onto this piece of entertainment. You already made the whole movie in your head and then it yeah. was, that wasn't the movie. That's, that's yeah, you, so you're always going to be disappointed with that, right? Yeah. Yeah, you can't fault a film for not being oh, definitely. what you imagine. There was a famous review of um, uh, Water by the Spoonful which is essentially a, a play about well, it's a play about a lot of things. It's a play about addiction. And this uh, woman in Chicago, one of the reviewers in Chicago wrote a whole Review upset that it wasn't about um, the water crisis, about access to clean water. <laughs> I mean, the whole review. I was like, "What are you even?" And the play actually is stunning. It's a beautiful play. Yeah, <laughs> But it's it, yeah. I don't yeah. So there's in the late 20th century there was this thing that came about um, through French literary criticism. Bear with me. I know everybody's uh, like, "Oh no, <laughs> wake um, up, people." Yeah, death of the author. And the death of the author sure. um, is very, very uh, reductively, essentially, said that um, the meaning is created in the mind of the reader as you read the text. Right. So there is no essential meaning that comes from the author. I mean, the author's dead <laughs> in some cases, right? You read Shakespeare mm -hmm. and you mm -hmm. create the meaning as you read it. Because there's, there is no other place to create meaning except in your mind, Right. You have to be the one interpreting the text and creating the meaning for yourself. Even at the most basic level, listening to a podcast, mm -hmm. these are sounds I am making, and you are creating the meaning of those sounds in your mind. And this is why you can see 57,000 different productions of Hamlet, and they're all different. So when you're talking about, like, I need to, what am I bringing to this experience of seeing this film or of looking at any piece of art anywhere, mm -hmm. um, that is, that's essentially what it's all about. Right. Because every right. single person is going to have a different experience 
based on all of their previous experiences, everything else they've ever said or read or done or seen. So for me coming into Rogue One, this was like the second major female hero's journey I had ever seen mm. in a major studio motion picture. And that was still, it still felt monumental to me, mm. even though I, like my, the actual filmmaking was, I thought, lacking in a lot of ways. And that was my first public post about it was like, okay, all right, settle down, director. But <laughs> Yes, yes, we all see your grit. But um, I really felt connected to what they're trying to do at Lucasfilm, even as they make mistakes in trying to do it. Sure. And that comes from my background. But I could absolutely see how somebody coming from a different background would have a different interpretation. That all comes from you're, you have, there's no other way to create meaning but in your own mind. Sure. Uh, Dom, you want to throw in on that before I throw out another question? Um, no, that's okay. I was just going to add both British, both quasi-Asian names. Jean yes. And Ray. And, Interesting. And that's, Interesting. Interesting. We, we can move on. <laughs> okay, done. Um, so my question here, and so this may seem a little bizarre, but are you, I can't remember. You're, you're not much of a horror movie watcher, are you? Nah. Nat, so this is because this is the other thing that you might have experienced. Because what's horror, horror movies are, are fascinating and horror stories are, are fascinating in general. Obviously, there's the horrible version of it, the sort of the torture pointy, the, the, the absolutely yeah. treating the feminine body as, as, sure. as pain, well, I mean, as, as pain as entertainment. However, I'm familiar with the work of Carol Clover, if that's what oh, you're saying. No, no, no. She, no, I mean, no, I mean that's there's that too, but there's also a history of of very of uh, female of female heroes in certain horror movie franchises and it's it's well, obviously it's a mixed bag and it's weird and it's certainly not the horror uh, you know it's certainly not the hero's journey as as defined by joseph campbell most of the time some of them hit uh whatever but believe it or not the early hellraiser movies um christie's an incredibly strong female lead um uh even in some of the early uh some of the nightmare some of the nightmare on elm street early films uh things like that there are very strong female leads in that they tend to be and sure they there's a there's a weird conversation between damseling in those in those films as well, but um, it just is someone who might you know that's also a place where hmm. it's interesting that that's a place where there were um, some female leads that that had a lot that ended up having a lot of agency. They tend to kill the they always kill the you know kill the big bad. Of course, there's a lot of virgin horse shit going on there. It's a deep well, but at least they're visually represented. Um, but yeah, anyway, okay. That's interesting. I, I wonder why that is. I, I've mm. seen some scholarship on that after Carol Clover became okay. a more people people became more interested in that in academia, I guess. Yeah. And so I, I know there's some scholarship out there. I'd, I'd be interested to see what that because I don't really watch. This is not a genre that interests me. You know, sure. like I'm sure. Uh, eh. But the. Uh, <laughs> The storytelling is is not like I'm there. I'm usually there yeah. for character and yeah. narrative, you know. And but so, but anyway, I, I, you know, one thing I've never seen that like approximately 250 million people have told me that I need to see is Buffy. Uh, yes, <laughs> yeah, we had a whole podcast on it. <laughs> yeah, Buffy came up this year a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's also her twenty. It's also the twentieth anniversary. Still yeah. viewable. 
still viewable. Sorry, it's, the magic. it's on my list. It's on it's, my uh, list. It's on the list. Yeah, and definitely someone, a, a character, much like you're talking about Disney sitting down and trying to trying to accomplish something with a female lead, Joss Whedon sitting down and making very much a comic book superhero, um, iconic well, I, female character. Yeah, absolutely. I'm feeling fairly certain that doesn't come out of Disney. I'm feeling fairly certain that's coming out of Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah. That, oh, ah, yes. Yes. That's true. Story, yes, let's put the, let's the, put it proper in the proper place. Yes. Yeah. The story team at I mean Disney actually is is coming along. I gotta say very much so. But they're, they're seem to uh, be trying. The story team at Lucasfilm is almost all women and people of color now. I mean, it's got Leland Chi. It's hmm. got Pablo Hidalgo. It's got. Um, right. Yeah. The last thing I checked was like it's out of the sort of eight story leads, six are women, if I'm not mistaken. Is it? I think that was the number that uh, that I I dug up a couple of days ago. I think it's. Oh, you know what? No, there's one white guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But he's he, he's super he's super cool. <laughs> but yeah, there's a. Um, yeah. So there. I mean, I think there is a very deliberate uh... movement there at lucasfilm to move it there i mean it, there always was right because what george mm. was looking at um at leia meets feminism where it was and pushes it one step further than films were really taking it right. you know i think this is this is where they're what they're trying to do and obviously in a world where there's nothing but content i mean there's yeah. By orders of magnitude, more content created than anyone could ever possibly consume. Yep. That there's no matter what you want, you're going to be able to find 700 of them. Yep. But talking about a major property, mainstream properties, mm-hmm. the kinds of things that shift culture on a global scale, like Star mm-hmm. Wars, because this is something that they're trying to do. That I I think is, is is thrilling to me as a woman, but but certainly not flawless by any yeah. by any like no. some of that yeah. yeah the character creation in Rogue One certainly like mm. I, you could pull back a little bit on some of the war scenes and give me just a little more uh, character yes just a little bit like I can, I've seen a lot of footage of things blowing up so let's that's cool <laughs> yes, I agree it's cool now can you give me a little more character creation that would have been nice. I, yeah. I love the pilot. I would have loved to have seen more of Bodhi Riz, Rook. Riz Ahmed, yeah, uh, is the actor. Yes, Am I, is that right? Yeah, that, yeah. yeah, that Riz Ahmed. The, but the the character. Yeah, he Bodhi felt Rook. a little um, ancillary, or his part was. He's no yeah. I, I feel like he's a victim of like. I mean, I know there's the bunch his of was, his part was edited weird, probably. Yeah, I mean, actually, Melissa, you're yeah. obviously you you have a bit more. You you seem to have a bit more of the inside information, but obviously there is the rumor uh, that you know there was a fifty percent reshoot that it got taken away from uh, Gareth Edwards. Blah blah blah. But his character really feels like he's he was going for one thing in one version of the edit, and like all of a sudden has been given new material and is going for something else, like. The whole mind wipe at the beginning, and then like, where are we headed with this? And then it's just basically dropped. It's very confusing. Um, uh, I mean, he does fine with the material that he's given. I mean, I like what he's. I, oh, oh no. I think there's no question that the but, actor is is has more to offer than the character. <laughs> yeah, it was very strange. <laughs> Definitely very strange. Um, 
But uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we might have to bring this in a little bit uh, to a close a bit early today just because uh, of life stuff. Three of us, it's it's hard to get together and and, and really bang out over an hour's worth of material for y'all. So uh, we usually close a little bit with some final thoughts as well. Well, usually. Actually, it's not usual at all. I'm going to close this time with some final thoughts. Um, uh, We'll throw it over to uh, Dom. You got got any final thoughts on Rin and uh, Jay? I I did it. I almost did it. I... Rin, I almost said. Um, anyway, and Rin, created a new and Star Wars Jin. name in the doing. Yeah, yeah. Rin. Boom. Oh, their, their, their child. Um, yes. I still slightly prefer Jin, but yeah. he dies. And my favorite Ray bit is when she's being harassed by the stormtroopers and she goes, Oi! And it's like, just like a Britishism leaking through. <laughs> and I, I like that part. Oh, I didn't say like one. everything she does there towards the end with the lightsaber battle that yeah. I feel is Sigourney Weaver-esque. Yeah. Ah, little, little, little. And she lives, so we'll get to see her again. Yes. That's my closing bot. <laughs> That's good cool. stuff. Um, uh, for me, uh, I'll let Melissa have the last word on this. Um, you know, for me, I- I'm just really thrilled of the casting with Daisy Ridley. Uh, I think she's a-, a hell of a find. Um, I just rewatched these movies and that last scene, man, that last moment where she's holding the damn lightsaber out. I mean, you know, you can sort of flash back to sort of uh, the, you know, A New Hope and, you know, Mark Hamill is the find. And let's be honest, you know, Mark Hamill maybe wasn't quite, hadn't quite stepped up to that plate yet um, to carry a certain amount of emotional weight. And Jesus Christ, has Ridley hit that last moment with so much depth and, and, and no lines and just that look. And it's a fantastic filmmaking moment. It's just a fantastic acting bit. Um, so I'm also thrilled not only with the uh, sort of where they're going with the character, but the the fact that uh, they've got a they've got a pretty intense lady there behind the wheel uh, that I trust to you know pull off whatever they actually toss her way. Um, so I'm also thrilled with the performance. Um, Hillman, bring us home, babe. Got some uh, got well, some nice thoughts. This was exactly you you kind of stole what I was going to oh, say. Sorry, uh, but I. I mean, what I was just, but just a bit, which is what I was going to say was, you know, in these, in these super high budget um, motion pictures where you could cast literally anybody on the planet, you mm-hmm. could get anyone you wanted. Um, they oftentimes people go for an actor who looks the part, but is not mm-hmm. a great actor. Um, I, oftentimes the casting is disappointing. And in this case, both with Rogue One and with um, TFA, the casting is just magnificent. They could not have found better people. They found people who have so who bring so much to the roles that I I'm I very much trust that um, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega. I think there is just some beautiful acting happening mm-hmm. and um, the chemistry between them mm. is beautiful yeah. as well. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing what happens in the next film. I'm sure Harrison Ford mm. is too. Finally, old Grandpa Walnuts got his wish. <laughs> he's he's Marshall, out. He's been asking for it since yeah. the, the 1980 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. He got wait, wish. wait, I just realized something. Did you just call him Grandpa Walnuts? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to assume that's a reference to something, but or not. I, I don't know. I just I do. I like Grandpa Walnuts. It's a fantastic name. 
just every time you see Harrison Ford now and being mm. grumpy and, you know, it's, it's just like, oh, grandpa. He and does be- that, same, that same finger up hush gesture in every single yes. film he's in. And my daughter yes. calls mm-hmm. it the solo hush. The solo hush. <laughs> and, the, and every just, oh, grandpa. Yes. That's my reaction oh. to Harrison Ford. No matter what he does, no yeah. matter what film he's in, no matter what he's saying. Oh, Grandpa. Uh, Grandpa fell down a giant hole. So there you go, in true Star Wars fashion. Um, Well, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, there it is. Uh, You've done it. You've been with us for another hour. We we love you for it. Uh, If you love us, uh, please... uh, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Uh, we got the old Facebook page. Uh, we're on the Stitcher. You know, we're out there. Um, as always, please do comment, like, subscribe. Oh, shit. Uh, Melissa, you got anything you want to uh, to promote? Uh, anything where, where people can – tell people tell the peeps where they can find you uh, real sure. quick before we close uh, it I'm on the beautiful internet blogging as Bitter Gertrude at bittergertrude.com. Nice. Uh, cool. Uh, Dom, anything you want to throw out that's new and happening for you this week? Yeah, I am still always at karaokerhapsody.com. Nah, like Bohemian roll. Rhapsody, but with karaoke. Karaokerhapsody.com. Rock and roll. There. Awesome. I'm still stuck in Postland. Uh, we love you folks. Thank you so much. Uh, we have been elevating the genre, and we will see you next. Yes, may the force be with all of you. Yes, and may the force be with you. Uh, Melissa, you want to close this out with that? <laughs> <laughs> May the forest be with you always.